0: Hello podcast listeners, this is Travis here, just with your friendly neighborhood content warning for this and the following episode of Tracks by Louise Erdrich. Tracks is a novel that features depictions of sexual assault and sexual violence against women, in addition to, I guess we would call it episodes of colonialist violence and takeover, I'm not sure if that... Warrants its own category, but I feel like it's worth mentioning up front because Amanda and I jump in and out of conversation so frequently and our segments don't go in chronological order or anything. I'm not going to stamp anything. We don't do that for our content warnings. We're just going to leave this here up front as kind of a blanket statement for the entire episode. So if that's content you're uncomfortable listening to discussion about, then it's best to just skip these episodes. If you are comfortable with that, then we ho- hope, as always, of course, that you get a chance to both read the book and listen in for the discussion. And join us for this really incredible novel that's well worth the read. So, just wanted to give that warning up front, and hopefully, we will uh, see you for the rest of the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that always has spare haunches of frozen moose in its freezers. Not enough to make a meat suit, of course. We don't, we're not we not hoarding the moose meat. We, we have some to spare for friends and such. And we have enough for our own purposes. We, we're just not hoarding it, Amanda. Right, right. We're not hoarders. What, what poundage of frozen moose meat are you sitting on currently?
1: Oh, I'd say I'm still at about seventy pounds,
0: okay, okay. I mean for <laughs> from the moose that we gathered it from, that's basically nothing. Those are like fifteen hundred right. pound creatures,
1: yeah, I'm just gonna make it into like snack jerkies,
0: yeah. Yeah, I could picture this (laughs) image in the book perfectly when he was covered in the meat suit and it basically froze to his body and and enveloped him. He was enveloped in the meat. I think The Revenant, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, in which he won the Oscar for the first time, captured Mm -hmm. a similar thing, but that was, I think he had to live inside of the animal he carved. Yeah, he did. (laughs) A little bit of a different predicament. If you have no idea, we should probably put a trigger warning in for that, huh? That's violent imagery. (laughs) Um, We'll think I'll have to put it in post if you're wondering why we're describing the butchering of animals wild animals in such detail and describing meat suits and such it is because we are here today with a book club episode for the novel tracks by and i looked this up beforehand see this my name pronunciation it's out of control i just looked up how to pronounce this name i looked up an interview with her i believe it is is it louise it's louise and then it's not Erdrich, it's erdrick so louise erdrick and the novel is again called tracks this is the part one book club episode for that novel if you've never listened in with us before welcome first of all we are the lightly literary podcast i'm joined as always by my co-host amanda hey amanda hello welcome back welcome to the meat meat suit zone i guess is what we're calling (laughs) it We have social media feeds where you can follow us in the books we choose to read and analyze. Um, You can find us at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. That is on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the accounts that we keep up to date, so follow us there to see what we're reading and what we've got coming up. Also, as always, we would ask kindly that you rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. We're up pretty much everywhere, so wherever you found this would suffice, and we'd appreciate that. Again, if you've never joined us, we're here to discuss the novel Tracks in some detail. We like to take books that we analyze and do in book clubs and we split them in half, so today we're going to be discussing Tracks chapters 1 through 5, and that's it. That's all we'll be discussing and spoiling for today. And then if you come back next week, a week from today, we'll do part 2, and then we'll discuss the whole novel and put the whole thing kind of together at that point. Let's get into the technicals of how and why we chose this novel. Again, Tracks by Louise Erdrich. I chose it. Amanda, what was the prompt you gave me for this one?
1: Um, I gave you the prompt um, to choose a war book not written from the American perspective, but involving America. Yeah, and
0: I butchered this one. This is, I think, the first one (laughs) that is a complete misfire. Now... I have a couple theories as to what happened. I can walk you through. We like to be honest with our listeners, and in the background of this, we try and pick and balance our book choices. We try and do a variety of genres, authors, perspectives, yada, yada. And of course, if we went into all the detail, it would probably just bore. It's more boring than interesting, probably. But anyway, here was my thought process 100% when I was looking up books that fit this great descriptor. I 100% went Vietnam War because I knew that there would be literature. It was a more recent war, more modern, and I knew there would be literature about the Vietnam War written from Vietnamese perspectives. And there were. There were a couple that really tempted me. And then when I was looking at our book list, I was just literally looking almost by continent, by background, and I just thought, you know, we've done a bunch of books in Asia. We've done zero things about Native Americans. Let's do that. And I knew I would maybe fudge it a bit. I mean, I'm not going to get into the academic sort of, um, semantics of this you could call what america europeans have done to native americans genocide call it a war call it this i mean i know there's not formal declarations of war so again it just becomes semantic at some point but i figured i could sneak in a book from that perspective under this description thinking okay even if you want to quibble and say it wasn't a war quote unquote there were is definitely mass violence and battles and things and so Then I went on that search. I discovered this author who I'd never heard of before. She seemed really acclaimed, like a really prominent modern contemporary Native American author. And I think what happened here is I read a description for another book she did, but then picked this one maybe mistakenly is maybe what happened. I really don't know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's my bad on the prompt. Uh, it is not my bad on the book, which I think has been quite yeah. excellent. <laughs> so I don't yeah. have apologies in that regard, but I will apologize briefly for kind of botching the prompt. Maybe we'll come back to it, or maybe I'll pick some of those Vietnamese novels I was eyeing before. So no regrets in terms of my process, and that, that was literally every step of the process, basically, just as a brief refre- or a brief update on that. So yeah, kind of botched the prompt, my bad. This I wouldn't say this novel, though it's defined a bit by you know land taking of land and there's some sexual violence and stuff it uh, is not predominantly a war fight you know kind of big conflict story i don't know what your feelings yeah. are about that I I mean, what a beautiful mistake, though. This is such yeah. a great book. So. Uh, yeah, no regrets, no <laughs> regrets. And it's turned into a, a compelling you know story and study of its own. It's got its own merits. So I just happened to kind of, yeah, mess up the prompt for the first time. But it was a great idea, and it still remains so. I, I probably should have given more attention or thought to Middle East conflicts because I have to imagine in the last 20 years there have been some things made about the U.S.'s presence in Afghanistan, Iraq, that Region of the world, so Mm -hmm. that was the one conflict that, when I thinking back to it now, I was like, "Ah, I really did jump right on Vietnam, didn't really give it a second thought. So anyway, complexities to it, (laughs) but that was one hundred percent the thought process, and what we've ended up with is really a phenomenal book by an author. I'm so glad I discovered. So you know, again, no regrets. Let's move into the book club then, shall we? That was the longest preamble we've done, but it was the biggest mistake so far, so (laughs) big mistakes justify big introductions, I guess. That's how it is. Um, Anyway, let's get into it. We'll start book club part one for tracks, as we always do, with a fill-in-the-blank prompt just to get some things going. At this point, Amanda, I definitely have to toss it to you. I've been talking nonstop, so go ahead and fill in (laughs) this blank. I went simple on this one, and I also went book-based, which isn't always the case. The fill in the blank. Thus far, my favorite floor moment or detail has been blank because blank. And I. Did I get floor right? Fleur? Yeah. Okay. Fleur. Fleur. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take it away.
1: Yeah. Uh, my favorite floor moment is when she puts Russell and Pauline to bed while she's playing cards in the second chapter. Oh. Because. Yeah. Yeah, it shows that she's actually quite loving and tender and that she's a mother figure in a lot of ways while everyone is just trying to sexualize and often demonize her.
0: Yeah, she is received by other people in only one of two ways, really. At least, I know you've read further in the novel than I have. I have just stuck through one through five, and I know you've gone on. So who's to say in the future? But yeah, her reception by others is basically fear or sex those are the two mm-hmm. responses that people seem to have to her presence i think um uh, are we going to go with is it nana push or nana push i've been in my mind i've been calling him nana push. nana okay so the ah uh, okay so nana push he is i think the only one who's received her in really neither way in sort of more of just an admiring maybe more neutral maybe there's a little touch of fear for him too he's she finds her imposing but anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, that, it's an interesting moment, right? Does, and do you think that Pauline's relationship has been based on that moment? Then
1: uh, it's it's so funny because before that moment, she also demonized her and sexualized her yeah. in that she was she noticed that the men would pay attention to her, and then she, her descriptions of her were very negative. And she's like, she's always looking for attention and da da da. And <clears throat> but then, like after that moment, she and after the the rape scene, that's. Uh, mm-hmm. She, she seems to take a different, like almost like she's better than her, or she wants to be better than Floor.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's as if she's ashamed of herself for not intervening, and then also not envious of the moment, obviously, because it's a rape, but envious of, like, yeah, the attention, I guess, or some of the, just her general kind of the way she beguiles men and attracts them and mm-hmm. everything, and she wants to. I don't know, sexually develop herself. We'll get into that later. So, okay, my favorite floor movement. let me just jump in quick before I take us too far astray. I think it was when she shaved her head because it did humanize her the most in the narrative. Now, this narrative makes a fascinating choice in that when I was, I was actually walking with a friend this morning and she asked what we were reading and I tried to describe this book. And I kept coming back to Fleur, like it is Fleur's novel to me, but it's not, she's never a character in it or a point of view character. So it's interesting to have to describe it. It's almost like these two people who kind of are in her orbit, but she's such a potent force at the center of the story. It really does feel like her book, even though she's not. Yeah, she's not the point of view, but the the so the shaving head moment I thought was really humanizing because it it had been foreshadowed, but I thought it showed solidarity with other people. It was kind of a just a basic human connection kind of act. It also had a weird anachronism to it because it reminded me so much of how people today for cancer treatment will shave their heads with in solidarity with loved ones and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of I know it I don't think that was a purposeful illusion or something, but it just reminded me of that. It had that moment of I also like how it was understated. Like, floor didn't go on with a, she didn't speechify it and give a long winded explanation of how she's going to defend her family. And we're together in this, she just does it, you know, she's just one to just do things. <laughs> she, and yeah. so that's kind of her power and in independence is that she doesn't feel the need to justify things like that. She doesn't care how people will perceive her differently. She doesn't even care that I think for a lot of people, it'll change her. I don't, like how they view her sexually as well. Like she doesn't ask her, her then partner or did they get married here in Eli? uh i don't think they i don't did. think
1: well not not in the catholic church anyway okay. but yeah, yeah. I mean, so anyway partners, it,
0: yeah. it's not like she consulted with him you know that's just not who she wouldn't be like well how do you feel about me changing my look? you know she just does it because yeah. that's that's yeah. her power and so that was my i think the best moment kind of the most well realized but the mysteriously um disappearing into the frozen lake is a close second we can maybe talk about that
1: yeah that's the the magical moments i find really interesting in this book
0: yeah we'll also come around to that later and we've hinted at enough segments so let's just jump to another one we also like to do in part one book clubs surprises pleasant or otherwise which is just as it sounds like we're going to talk about something in the narrative that surprised us could be for good or bad amanda take it away what surprised you so far
1: um i was surprised that Fleur is the main character right in that I was expecting the story to have a a more obviously broad scope of just native tribes during this time period. Yes. And yeah. So I was like expecting it to just be a broader scope, but it's very focused on floor, which is, is great. I love it. Um, the explanation of the story on the back of the book also just like reinforced the idea that this would be less of like a family drama kind of plot and that it would be more like broad sweeping. Um, but, I think that, and I was surprised by this too, the the focus on Floor as kind of like the main character without a voice um, and and from the perspective of two very different narrators, I think that does help give us some insights into how the tribe is falling apart and the need for like a scapegoat, which in this case is Floor in a lot of ways, and, and the perspectives on the things that are tearing apart the tribe. As, yeah. as Floor tries to navigate through those um, essentially snares set up by like the government and stuff. I
0: do wonder if it's almost going to be kind of a fly by history via character response like Underground Railroad was where each mm-hmm. stop in that story felt like here's a chapter of African-American history and we're just going to have this character kind of go through all of it. I mean, you could read Fleur's story as that she loses her family to just kind of the conditions and like not having enough to sustain her, you know, not being on the best land or not having resources. There's the rape scene, which we'll talk about in a second. So there's the violence of that. There's that aspect of it being, you know, being physically taken away from yourself, that kind of a displacement thing. And you Mm -hmm. could just keep going through these conflicts. And if you wanted to read it as almost an allegory, I mean... Is that an allegory, if it's that obvious, though, that she's representing her own people's trauma or something? I don't, I don't know what we'd call it in the literary sense, but it she, it could be read it that be way, I allegory. think, though. Yeah. 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 So, no, I, I agree. It's a bold choice. I admire it so much. I like seeing Floor through the lens of the two different people, how they keep coming into contact with her. And I like that they're—do you find the two narrator's voices to be different enough to be interesting?
1: Oh, 100% like yeah. the two of them are complete opposites, right? Nana Push to me is like the the representation of the old ways. Right. And and the traditional ways whereas uh Pauline for me is the uh the turning away from the old ways and turning towards um the the white ways is what right, they right. they keep comparing themselves to to the white folks around them, but like, you know, becoming getting interested in the church and and being more proud of being of mixed ancestry because she she's better. She even says that she's better. She's too right, good for right. the Indian side of her family and stuff like that. So it's two very opposite perspectives that I find really interesting. Yeah, and the
0: kind of personality decay and mental decay of Nana Push, not that he's incoherent, but that he, he feels his decline a lot and comments on it a lot, and that's that's a huge part of his story. So, yeah, I think that definitely shows through. I, uh, I find myself an interesting crossroads here and this, uh, segment for me, I need to word as carefully as possible that I don't think I was in about it before on like the Toni Morrison bluest eye episode, but I, I have to comment on this again. I don't know why I keep being drawn into the scenes of sexual violence, but the, the thing that surprised me the most was that the rape scene with Fleur and the men in the, in the butcher shop, I I just found it to be so impactful and I guess the surprise part not wasn't that it happened at all or wasn't that the author would would dare go there or something it's if you're going to be, you know, tackling big themes you have to be careful and skillful and she's both. So that it wasn't it was mostly just the placement, right? It happens very fast. It, it, I didn't expect it in the second chapter of this book. I didn't expect it to be to happen so violently and so quickly though once the chapter gets yeah. rolling, I think it's alluded to really clearly and that there's there's enough buildup in it. The scene itself, when it happens, is pretty horrifying. There's just a lot of, there's just a lot of tension. With the imagery of it all, the dog, just the grease of the shop, the description. It's just very sloppy, and it feels a fitting for what you know the crime that takes place there, and the, just the yeah. violence of it. So everything built up just so wonderfully. But again, I find myself at a, that crossroads of saying praising a scene of just such abject horror and violence and everything but I it, it it was it affirmed in my mind at that point because I didn't know this author didn't know the topic but it was the moment where I knew that we were in really skilled uh literary hands and that I was mm-hmm. like I think that it was after finishing that chapter that I texted you uh I don't think I chose the right book for this prompt but this book is really <laughs> excellent so <laughs> I don't, yeah. like the writing is, is so strong that I that part was so haunting to me that I thought that I'm just, you know, I'm going to go on this literary journey no matter what now, but I don't think I chose a bit well (laughs) based on the prompt. Anyway, so that was, I think, if you can crystallize a traumatic moment so well and do it with such care, again, I just have to kind of admire it, but it did surprise me that the book went into that so quickly that it took it on pretty much unflinchingly, but again, it was... I find myself saying, again, that a scene like that was well done, but it just, I don't know, it was. It's such a difficult thing to do. We've seen two authors now, in my mind anyway, do it really well, so I'm not sure how you responded, yeah. though.
1: Yeah, I thought that it was really well done, too. It it took me a minute to to kind of, like, I knew that there was, like, violence, and I was like, but, but is it necessarily a, a rape which was later confirmed but yeah the the thing that really struck me was the scene where lily um is trying to get to fleur but has to go through the pig first yeah, yeah which i was like this is actually really ingenious and like just so beautifully put where the violence we don't we don't personally witness the violence against yeah yeah fleur but we see it against the pig the 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 attempts at domination and the fighting back and stuff like that so we we can we're not getting that full-on like just attack on floor and i just thought that was that was really well done
0: yeah it's how do you do something horrific without being gratuitous and exploiting it for you know cheap thrill or cheap excitement or you know Thrill in terms of thriller, I guess. I didn't mean in terms of audience excitement or something, but it's, yeah, how do you do it without seeming cheap? I think this is something horror movies can get really wrong if they're, you know, tacky or something or just underbaked. But no, so, yeah, that was – I was struck by that. I was struck by – there's a couple lines I'll get to later when we start quoting a bit more, but there was lines about the way she was speaking at the time and then also kind of the ending for those men that they all were kind of frozen in time together and, like, stuck in that moment that they – that, of course, like a force of nature comes through because Fleur has these connections to the supernatural. So it's as if the town is being punished for its crimes against her. And, you know, by proxy, I guess you could say like against Native Americans and everything. If you wanted to read the symbolic, if you wanted to read big symbols mm-hmm. into it, I guess, big conflicts. Yeah. But and so I thought that ending was a an interesting, subtle touch of just kind of them being stuck in this frozen in this moment to be remembered like that's their you know that's going to be their stasis forever they're kind of punished for that in a way by history or however you want to read it there was and yeah like I said uh, we'll get into some quotes but the imagery just bu- building up to it and the the heat of it all I remember of course that's a in, in literature you know hot days hot passions it's all it all kind of blends together in that way so mm-hmm. it was just yeah I don't know it's such confident writing that built up to it and like you said it's this is another shout out to the Underground Railroad, I guess, but that book we also commented and admired how it, it never turned away from anything, but it didn't dwell or revel in it, which is can seem really gross if you decide to right. do that and you never want to seem like you're, yeah, I mean, I'm sure authors think through that just endlessly. You never want to seem like you're reveling or enjoying something. Then you, you want it to be powerful and punchy. You want the audience to recoil, but you don't. Yeah, no need to stare too long. So, yeah, really mm-hmm. just a great scene in terms of the quality of the craft. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, that took me by a ton of surprise. That was definitely when I text you when I finished that chapter and just thought this book is something perhaps even more potent than I suspected. This, I didn't know anything about that <laughs> when I chose it. I really didn't know the history of it at all. But, yeah. So that was my surprise. Let's let's move to motifs. I've alluded to mine a ton, so I'll put mine on pause. Though we'll, go, we'll go with yours first again, but this is where we'll dig into some deeper parts of the book, try and give some quotes to clarify some points, talk through some ideas. Um, we each pick a motif that we think matters in the story so far, things to look out for and pay attention to. Amanda, why don't you start walking us through your motif?
1: Yeah, mine is uh, water. Yeah. So... Uh, the very first scene, um, snow is frozen water, right? So so from the very beginning we see it as a kind of threat as something that could bring about death. Mm-hmm. We also so we start off with the, the imagery of snow with Nana Push's first narrative. And then we also have Machimonito Lake with Mis mishepsu Mish- <laughs> I think the monster Mish- in the lake.
0: sounds right to me. <laughs> Meshepitsu. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um so um so we have the, the lake which is really important and it's also kind of like the the focal point um of a lot of these like fears, but also a focal point for the government to try to like overtake and Machimanito Lake is is Floor's domain, and they have not been able to get the land from her. Um, But the water imagery is still there. Uh, The monster is still there. On um, page 7, Nana pushes communication as he's talking to Father Damien. Um, He describes his um, communication as a kind of stream that slowly is just drowning father damien yeah. so that he can't get a in. yeah
0: yeah he also messes with father damien later when he tells him how he's having sex with the that woman he's acquaintances yeah. with which is <laughs> yeah. there, there is some i didn't mention this as surprises it would have been my backup but the the humor and interplay between him and that woman i think is the other surprise for me because you ha- i didn't find there to be much lightness or brevity in morrison for example though i think we we did find some and enjoyed some moments but this yeah. i think has more outright humor that it's mixing in with a, a narrative that can otherwise be quite serious and stern
1: yeah i find Nana really great as a narrator cuz his sense of humor just it really does shine and his wit too right his his um his ability to compare things to things in nature and acts of nature, I think is, is really well done. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, um, so also the, the deaths that Pauline mentioned that are tied to floor where she was saved from the lake, the two men died. And then the second time that she nearly drowned, the old man died that saved her. Um, he, he died in like in a bathtub accident. There's a lot of, again, water as like symbols of death there. And, um, on page 18 Paul Pauline describes her she says Fleur's shoulders were broad and curved as a yoke her hips fish-like slippery narrow an old green dress clung to her waist and I was imagining like a seaweed dress when she right. was describing that um so she's very much like water and she also is like kind of like you know a harbinger of death (laughs) yeah she's feared
0: by people (laughs) you know she's supposed to be have some connection to the lake monster or some spirit there some kind of creature so that fits that fits
1: and um and also eli and sophie when they when they get together they they start in the field but then they specifically move to the stream in order to have sex Mm-hmm. So that I think is interesting because that was uh, that was nearly the death of Eli and um, Floor's relationship there.
0: Yeah. Did you so symbolically then is that like a double affront to her? Do you you feel like water is her domain or something?
1: I do. I think that water is is Floor's domain. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. That's I could see that reading for sure. Do you find her? I'm trying to ask questions that maybe don't involve spoilers because I know you've read ahead, but is it do you find her to be ominous enough to live up to the reputation because we don't we never get her directly
1: everybody keeps talking about her power how powerful she is and i think that she she does for her the power is not necessarily like a physical power it's her power over people because of the superstitions around her and she knows how right. to manipulate that which is like also how like why i'm I'm not 100 percent sure about this magical reading, too, which which uh, I kind of talk about with the police continue and make it stop. Yeah. 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 yeah, That that also affects how I read that.
0: For sure. I want to save the further comments because there's one scene in particular with that that I want to get your word on. But yeah, that's that is true. That is true. Any thoughts on, because I'm trying to think of other prominent water scenes. The only other one I can think of is when Nana pushing in the, see, I keep saying woman, but I just need to remember her name. What's the woman? Margaret. Margaret yes, there we go. When they are canoeing to find Fleur or Eli, talk to them, mm-hmm. try and intervene in the relationship or something. Yeah, Their canoe, yeah. it takes and- on a lot of water and she's furiously bailing it out there's some funny image in there too that nana push says a little commentary about her bailing the boat out but did you yeah how did you read that scene then in terms of the water is that any any reading there for that one
1: well the so because she was going to um the cabin right in order to uh, at that point was it to stop to try to intervene yeah yeah between eli and yeah so of course um it's like she's, if we were to imagine that Floor has control, of course, she's going to try to stop Margaret from doing that because she loves Eli.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it's as if that she's invading. I thought, I guess it was fitting because if they're invading on Floor's, you know, territory, her power, yeah. that's, <laughs> it also shows that Nana Push just as a little character moment is, you know, a little old and beyond repairing his canoe all the time. Yeah, He's just not up for it, not not used to repairing it in the same way he maybe would have in his youth. Any uh, exactly. final thoughts on water or snow or meat suits? <laughs> no. Okay, the, the purest form of cold and ice, you know, of, of them all. Fair enough, mm-hmm. that's one yeah. way to refrigerate yourself, or insulate yourself, rather. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. I'll jump into my motif that I think matters and I since I saw that you didn't take it I just thought I'll be the one damn it all. I know my mom listens to this so you know hopefully she can stick with us for a while here but it's got to be sex. I think that sexual relationships are just at the fore in nearly every every chapter essentially comes back to this if not directly mm-hmm. referencing it then at least talking about the people marrying or having significant others, um, you know, having wives, now to push had multiple wives, that kind of thing. So the references are just all – I just could not bring it up. I, if you didn't do it, I was going to. So here we go. Mm-hmm. I'm the one. <laughs> um, no, I'm happy to because the book does it so well. But So here's an interesting thing. The book starts with horror. I mean that's an interesting opening. The first sexual relationship we really see is a rape. And so – Right. That, like, to begin that way, and we already kind of talked through the scene enough. There's a couple images I'll unpack quickly, but I just thought it had such a disgust and menace to it that I, I did wonder if, you know, you always wonder, of course, about the victims and how, well, okay, so what's Floor's story going to be like now? It opens kind of respecting and fearing her but then immediately the book assaults her and so i just thought Mm -hmm. okay well is this what's what is flora's story going to be then i don't i'm curious where it would go with her and how will it be about her response will it show her point of view and it it kind of just shows her recovering and moving on but anyway some thoughts on the scene quick on 22 this is how the scene kind of opens it says, Pete was gone now, and one payday with the heat so bad, no one could move but Fleur. The men sat and played and waited while she finished work. The cards sweat, limp in their fingers, the table was slick with grease, and even the walls were warm to the touch. The air was motionless. Fleur was in the next room, boiling heads. Her green dress, drenched, wrapped her like a transparent sheet, a skin of lakeweed. Black snarls of veining cling to her arms. Her braids were loose, half unraveled, tied behind her neck in a thick loop. She stood in steam, turning skulls through a vat with a wooden paddle. So, I mean, what what do you want to start with? There, it recalls her kind of ethereal lake lake monster dwelling image, but she's also Mm -hmm. she's also literally boiling like a witch, like a vat. She has like a stew going, and there's and you know it shows it's it's her kind of being a master of death, you know, conquering some skulls and like looking over these dead things and trying to cook them. But then there's just the heat of it all. It's again, it's just such a greasy, disgusting setup. You know, everyone's so uncomfortable and the heat in in literature is kind of an archetypal thing almost at this point is obviously associated with passions. And so, I remember I think it was The Streetcar Named Desire the first time that really clicked in my mind that if in literature somebody is sweating too much, that something bad will happen to them, I guess. It's just, it's never, it's just a type of, it's a certain specific human discomfort to be so overheated and so sweaty that that just, it, it relates to other passions and things. But so I just thought that scene opened in just such a disturbing way. And I know we talked about it. Do you have any thoughts on that scene or how the book... Kind of opens with it. Did how did it make you feel? It
1: was just so wonderfully descriptive, and I was just like, okay, so I can tell that this narrator, because the way that Nana Push describes her, it's almost like she's a she's a non-entity. She's almost like ghost-like, yeah, right? right? At the in the first chapter, yeah. because they both are, because they both lost their families. But Pauline's take on her is is like I said at first, it's very very negative, and so I was like, okay, so this is going to be a totally different narrative than nana pushes and it's going to be something that's going to be is it going to be more trustworthy is it going to be less trustworthy so i immediately started questioning pauline's right um whether i can trust her as a narrator of course but it also i was like well she obviously doesn't like her this is she's very much is trying to make her look like a witch
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah she is intimidated for sure and flora you know the fact that she comes in has no fear of the men or of men has no fear of beating them in their own game she's confident she's smart and so that kind of dominance i think is foreign to pauline who in multiple times in that chapter describes herself as an invisible She is also a ghost, but not a haunting, to-be-feared spirit. She is like a literal ghost. It can't be seen. (laughs) An invisible ghost. So, kind of a contrast, too, with those images. Well, let's jump to Pauline, then, because in the sex motif, I have two other things I did want to discuss. This one still baffles me, so let's get into it. This is when Eli has sex with, is it Sylvie or Sophie? Sophie. Sophie. I this is when the supernatural stuff I thought got away from me anyway just because I could not read. Okay, so Pauline wants to influence Sophie to sleep with Eli, right? She wants to kind yeah. of feel the feeling or she believes she can't really attract anyone so she but she's feeling like she wants to be desired but and so she thinks she can kind of trick Sophie into sleeping with Eli. So there this is the This is when Sophie finally approaches Eli when they're alone and Pauline's watching. She's hidden. It says, She was naked underneath as always when it was hot. She bent, then pressed her bare self to his chest. He passed his tongue over his lips, shook his head as if to clear it. A thin panic shot through me. I thought Moses had failed. Moses, by the way, here's an aside. He made like a sexual seduction potion for them. Or a powder?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, it's
0: a concoction of some sort, yeah, yeah. and he's also the cousin of Floor. Right, right, so he has his own kind of magics. And it says, but then Sophie took a uh, last bit of soft gum-red licorice from her mouth and pressed it between his lips. He moved his hands up her thighs beneath the tucked billow of her skirt. She shivered, and I dug my fingers through the tough claws of sumac, through the wood-sod, clutched bark, shrank backward into her pleasure. Then they go to the water to have sex, like you said. But this is where, on 84, I... I've. I don't know what the narrative's doing. We can talk through it. As Pauline watches, she says, and I, lost in the wild brush, also laughed as they began to rock and move. They went on and they went on. They were not allowed to stop. They could drown, still moving, breathe water and exhaustion. I drove Eli to the peak and then took his relief away and made him start again. I don't know how long, how many hours. Their bodies would grow together and their skins hang loose. Their breasts and thighs would wrinkle like a toad's. Their faces puff, their eyes bloat. And yet they would move and move. I was pitiless. They were mechanical things, toys, dogs walls wound past their limits. I let them stop eventually. I don't know how or when. The sun was lower, in the hill, and on the hill appeared the tiny shadows of the men. As if cut from puppet strings, Eli lunged to the bank and clutched his trousers in his stomach, worked his way through the reeds, and staggered past me. And then... I'm skipping ahead. Alone now, Sophie floundered to the side, found her balance, and then stood, drenched, a child. She peered into the cattails that had closed behind him and called out, and I answered. And then she blames her for it, and then she kind of yells at Sophie, and then, of course, I don't know if we can say tattling for such a serious event, but she, like, tells the adults about what happened and wants to make sure they know that she saw it and everything. Mm
1: -hmm. But it's
0: kind of like a little moment of demonic possession or something that she is claiming to have power that she is from afar, influencing them, making them have sex, making them, basically giving them her passion, which, you know, she's been longing for this this kind of connection. But it's, Mm -hmm. so it's definitely creepy and off-putting. It's like, at some point, she describes them as if they're bloated corpses and they're just kind of, just stuck in the water, you know, making love, but then dying too. I just, the imagery of it was rather intense. Again, kind of grotesque. It's another scene where the sex is kind of, Disturbing. This is different though, because it, I don't know. It's, it's also a child. So, by our legal definition, it would also be a rape scene. I don't think these people interpret it quite that way, though the, her siblings are furious about it. So, there must be some digression, or um, not digression, what's the word? Indiscretion? I don't, it's some kind of yeah. wrongdoing was done. I, I don't know their ages exactly or something, but it's, it's clear that like she wanted him, but then Pauline kind of twisted into something disturbing and maybe she pushes it too far and of course i don't know I, that obviously doesn't have to be literal it could just be that's how pauline who was observing them for so long like that's her jealous feeling is there as she's watching them but man yeah i just said like a hundred things i don't know which reading you want to start with but it, it was a complex <laughs> scene for sure i it was the only moment i felt like outright i would say confused in terms of what the story wanted me to perceive i guess so take it away any reading uh,
1: the way that I read that particular scene is, yeah, so the wrongdoing, I felt like she was, um, uh, Sophie was like, what, 14 or 16, right? I, 14, I truly 16, don't 16, remember. It was definitely 18. enough
0: to where my brain said crime, and then in my brain too, I was like, well, I don't, both for the time period and for the where they live, if they, I, I just don't know the cultural or legal norms or whatever. But yes, it definitely read to me as like, and that, you know, he has the head shake, when she literally like comes on top of him, he's, it seems like he knows not to, and then he does. So anyway, yes. Yeah.
1: So he knows he's not supposed to. um, But I think that as far as like age wise, I don't think that that was for me in my mind, that wasn't the real issue there. I think that it was the perception that uh, Sophie is better than Eli right okay um they he's hired help they didn't even want to hire him but pauline kind of pushed about it right um he's he's associated with fleur which also makes him like (sighs) totally off off limits there too Right. so for me it was more almost like a, a a status thing where sophie who is mixed as well right and she's um her family um they're mixed, and they have a lot of land, and they're wealthier, yes, because mm-hmm. they work close more closely to like the the white community so they mm-hmm. they feel themselves to be better in a lot of ways. Right. so I think that for me, that was the real indiscretion part of all of that. That's mm-hmm. why the parents were so upset because it, it was with Eli, who is just full on like traditional Native American oh, okay. who's you know, hunting, gathering. Yeah, kind of a mute um, figure.
0: Not very, you right. know, just not very outgoing. Doesn't seem interested in, yeah, trying to make deals or sell land or ingra- ingratiate exactly. himself with white people who are in America now. And he just, yeah, anyway.
1: Right, just living his life as, you know, as his ancestors did. Right. So that to me was like the big thing. The the whole magical aspect of that, I I read that as, yeah, she she's definitely a puppeteer in that she gets the gears moving, getting Eli onto, um, the, the homestead and then dressing Sophie in, in these really tight, tight dresses that are meant to be, you know, revealing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then also at night kind of talking to Sophie about Eli and kind of encouraging that, that I was like, okay, that makes sense. That's, that's definitely something that I could see Pauline doing. Right, Right. Um, But the actual magical aspect of it where she is in control. Yeah. That, I've I've read that as her interpreting herself to be like Floor. The power that she thinks that Floor has. Okay. And kind of being like, I have that same power. I can control Eli just as easily. I can control the water just as easily. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I didn't see that as true because in the end... Eli is able to break the spell on his own accord, right? Mm-hmm. So that to me tells me that she was not actually in control.
0: Yeah, this so. is just a transgression she wanted to experience right. but kind of by proxy and that and you know, like you said she was the puppet master in that in terms of that metaphor that she controlled both people tried to influence them and Persuade them into this And I Yeah I think right. the reading I had in the moment Cause then I thought Well I, I don't know If I can take this literally There hasn't been Other magical literal stuff Just you know It's at the fringes And everyone thinks Fleur has powers But we, you know It's None of it is proven So to speak So yeah I read right. it as more Just like voyeuristic Pleasure That she was kind of Getting off on mm-hmm watching these people commit this sin, or, you know, sin in terms of my own definition, I guess I don't think they would use that language per se. I don't know how often they're going to that small church, but <laughs> um, but definitely an indiscretion because they know he's a floor in the age difference or something. The text also, to go back to the I know I was caught up trying to describe it properly because I was the text only responds to it really from the perspective of her family hates it, but like you said, it could have been a social issue, class issue, or something, but Nan- not a push r- um, responds to it directly. So the text has a response, but he it's a light chiding. He doesn't look at Eli as some disgusting beast. You know, like this was a huge indiscretion. He says, "Yeah, I had my way with women too, but not ki You know, he he says some line about like, "Yeah, but I I went after women, not like." kids but it doesn't seem to him it's not some irreparable reputation destroying um yeah like sin that he can never come back from it's more like well geez man we couldn't have waited or oh geez you couldn't have had yourself a little bit more under control and so it's not that's the only text response i saw other than her family's own fury of course over it Mm -hmm. yeah so it definitely had many elements of wrongdoing though i don't none of the characters seemed bent on like a legal redress right away. It wasn't that kind of issue. It had other elements of why it was such an issue or, you know, but no. So those are the first two encounters, right? So this book presents then sex is this, it's a power dynamic. It represents bigger conflicts from, you know, white colonialism in a sense from that first with the floor encounter to, this whole thing about passion and teenage yearning and Pauline wanting to manipulate it and everything. And so I did have to bring up one final example, which is from 125. This is when Nana Push and was it was Margaret or Madeline, Margaret, right? Margaret. Yeah, when when they have their relationship and so and they're together living together. And it says, I think the line here is, Every night, Margaret axed off a little wedge of the frozen moose meat and boiled it for me. We drank brews of whatever she could cut in the woods, pinned cherry, slippery elm. We sent nectar down out to the trap line to live with Eli in a winter camp, where they'd be sure to snare a rabbit or trap a muskrat. The snow continued, our moose gave out, and Margaret began to work on me. Let's live at my place. My cellar is full of jars. Go get them, then. But Margaret refused to un- unseal the trapdoor in her kitchen or remove her canning belongings from the underground shelves where those jars belonged. I told her she was trying to starve me from my place, that if she wanted what I gave her every night, she better stay. And then, of course, there's they joke about he hogs the covers, This <laughs> a, discu- a couple discussion is all this time. Anyway, and there's just, like, some charming banter, but... I think that their sexual relationship, then, is maybe the only one that felt... I mean, even then, it's filled with barbs, and they do try and hurt each other verbally sometimes, and they're kind of... They have the banter and bicker of, you know, as the the cliche goes, the old married couple, like a long-term relationship, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of sweet, and they do keep getting pulled back to each other, so... There's also a lot of sexual pun and jokery about his stick, his twig, or I forget how she phrases it. And, you know, so there's jokes about his impotence and everything. And I don't know, theirs felt like the most uh, human in that it involved, like, love and a little bit of playfulness, too. And, of course, it's, again, it's not perfect, but the other two encounters, even though I know the... The Pauline one is at least complex or the Sophie one is complex in that it's, I think it was consensual, which is a, I guess, a starting point of sorts, Uh, whether or not you could say Sophie even is allowed to consent. That's a different, again, I don't, that's like importing our cultural and legal systems onto them. I don't, this just becomes very complicated, but at least it seemed consensual in the moment, in the literal moment. This is that, but actually with like love, it seems, and friendship and like playfulness because the other two encounters, Mm -hmm. depending on how you read them are like, they're pretty assaulting, pretty violent, and pretty, I guess, off-putting, and just they have a lot of complex conflict in them, and I just thought this mm-hmm. one was, I don't know, it felt like the text, I don't know, almost giving a, a nudge or like a little acknowledgement to something more wholesome or something, but I enjoyed yeah. that scene a lot.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, it seems like uh, with sex in particular in this book, it's a lot of like power dynamic, because mm-hmm. um, even like when with Pauline and uh, Napoleon, there's... Mm there's the the need to feel wanted and desired but also like she wants to be in charge <laughs> right right of that um so there's yeah there's a lot of like power dynamic i think that that goes along with that and, and of course like it's when you are forcing your will onto somebody else that that is just a a a thing about your own power so yeah makes sense
0: and this all, I'm I'm going to move on now, I've taken up enough of our motif time, but uh, I didn't even mention floor scenes with Eli, which seem the most primal in a sense, the way it's described, yeah. and the way that they, they, it's only outdoors, you know, it's only in the light of nature, basically, that they're, it's almost like they're, representing something primal about attraction about humanity or something. So I didn't even mention theirs, but those three I felt like were the ones that kind of struck me the most. The first two for complex reasons, more negative, but that last one I just wanted to give, I don't know, mention to it because it, yeah, know, yeah it seemed a little sweet. bit more warm. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, can't let the stick jokes go. Got to acknowledge them. So. <laughs> I like Nana push getting kind of it kind of getting made fun of a little bit. He knows his, yeah. <laughs> he knows his station. All right, we got a couple (laughs) segments left. Let's go to the Please Continue, Make It Stop section. This is something where we give a little praise and criticism to the book, though we've been doing that throughout. But in case we have other thoughts, um, we're going to each mention something we hope continues for the second half and then something we hope stops as well. Amanda, you can start with either one, whatever you're feeling.
1: Sure. I'll start with my... I'll start with my make it stop, and then sure, and then I'll go into my please continue. So yeah. I'm, I'm starting with the make it stop, but um, it's it's such a weak make it stop because actually I just I just love this book so much that yeah. I really struggled to find a make it stop for me. Sure, um, so I don't really have anything, um, but in the spirit of things, I'll just mention something that I've noticed that I'm, I'm questioning, which is, um, Nana pushes, uh, chapters are addressed to Lulu specifically. He he says, my granddaughter, he's talking to her. Pauline is also therefore talking, I would assume. Right. But is she also talking to Lulu? And I question that because when she talks about Lulu, it's often like kind of negative. And also she describes Lulu as she, rather than saying you, so I'm just wondering who is Pauline talking to. Right. And it doesn't it just it doesn't bother me or anything like that, but it's just a question that I've had that that I've noticed in Pauline's chapters.
0: And it's the text begs the question in itself because Nana is so explicit in his voice addresses mm-hmm. it so direct his voice is so clearly meant for her that there's literal parts when it's clear that she is not listening to him and he has to address yeah. it so it, it's so explicit there and then yeah in the Pauline section it could be journal entries it could be something else could be her just living through memories in her mind or something I don't know who she uh, it's I have not noticed at all if she's narrating to someone. The fact that you bring it up, I was hoping you'd come in with the close reading and be like, no, you just didn't read this, Travis. Like, this page said it, and you just didn't see it. So, okay, the fact that you bring it up makes me feel good. I didn't miss something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's very conversational, the way that she's talking. So I feel like she is speaking to somebody, but I'm just like, I'm not 100% sure who she's talking to. (laughs) For sure.
0: Yeah, that is. That's a great one. I'm going to jump in with my make it stop then, because it's your please continue of a sort. And I, we can bounce back and forth on this. I It was nice. also difficult to come up with one, too, because it's, it's all been so excellent in my mind so far. Going back to the scene with Sophie and Eli, though, and Pauline watching, I just, with some of the magical stuff, it's not, it doesn't feel like dominant text to me because, mm-hmm. like, the first two chapters, for example, when the families die from the disease, presumably from something, you know, brought over by Europeans or so that that also wasn't super clear, but that's how I read it, as just kind of a... Again, a symbol of a broader conflict. But between that right. chapter... I mean, they talk about ancestral kind of ghosts living on, but it's, again, it's it's periphery. And then chapter two is just her trying to live in the town and, and the rape and everything. It just... To then bring it in kind of later, but not make it explicitly part of it and leave it ambiguous to me, I just... It, it got a little confusing, I guess. And I, I my reading started to branch off in ways that was... I just didn't know where to take the reading from there. And so... I had certain interpretations, and I—it's not even that I wanted it to stop, but I guess I hope some of the mythological stuff becomes either more foregrounded or like less featured. Because I, the Sophie, Pauline, Eli triangle moment with the with that encounter was the only time it felt frustrating to me. Like I wanted to kind of latch on to the text, but it was. I just felt confused i guess but you know i'm not now i think we came away with clear readings of it and everything but that was my only no. make it stop it's not even that i dislike it i just thought that scene put some pressure on my reading that i i didn't know how to respond to
1: Mm-hmm. i get that and, and it, like you mentioned it is my my please continue actually and i enjoy the magical aspects of it that seem to that, that I am not sure is actually meant to be like literal but the way that I have been interpreting it <coughs> has been that uh, so for me the, the entire book has been about like the the fight not even fight I guess but like the the difference between the old ways of doing things versus the what's happening mm-hmm. um, and where the old ways are kind of like dying off and that includes um their superstitions versus um, the church, right? There's father Damien and he's Red. trying to convert everybody. Um, and the way that I see that is like the, the magic and the superstition that surrounds floor is, is her Power. She is so primal, right? She's often described as just being like this wild, almost like fairy yeah, <laughs> of right, the woods, right. in a lot of ways. Um, even Nana Push describes her in that way, and a pot it, is positive, but also something to be respected. He doesn't necessarily fear her. He just yeah. says that he understands her and he he knows how to how to act around her because he understands her and he respects her um her relationship with the lake and stuff like that um so it's for me it was i was reading the whole magical aspect the superstitious aspect as like a kind of um a response to specifically religion the 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 nuns the father damien the the catholic church that is a huge presence actually we'll see father Damien pop up several times already in these chapters, um, as a kind of, he shows up trying to save them physically Yeah, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but floor also is trying to save them all with her powers too. So it's like a, that in, in a kind of way is almost like a war between her and the church. So, I, I find it fascinating. I look at it as more of like a psychological read, like yeah. uh, as more of a symbolic rather than there actually is yes. magic
0: there. Right. Um, but... 100%
1: yeah I just it, but I think in a way, it just makes Flora even more interesting as a character, yeah, and we can <laughs> go back to
0: the haircutting moment as a symbol as a moment for her to do something symbolic because yeah, she sort of in a way represents older older ways, but she also attempts to come into the town and is violently rejected from it, so there's that we could interpret that. Yeah, but then the hair moment then is especially poignant because if she's some kind of if she's meant to embody that, she also rejects it without even questioning, just to defend. You know, it's almost like she lives in these interpersonal things and has no concern for either group, either side of this Mm -hmm. conflict. It's she's just as willing to commit to living in the old ways, live in the forest. But then the hair thing, she's like, I don't give a shit about that cultural tradition, like whatever. You know, I'm just gonna do a solidarity thing for a person I like, (laughs) who I care about. So it's then there's that moment too where it's clear that. That, and I know I mentioned this way up front, but that's such an important moment to show, yeah, just what she's about and what, kind of what she represents. It's She's more yeah. uh, rambunctious than just to adhere to what people expect or want out of some tradition. Yeah. Yeah, still a fierce moment. My, please continue, I'll mention briefly then, is everything else, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> I will try and narrow this in, though. So I think that we've talked a bit and around Toni Morrison in this episode. I think this is the first book that gets back to some of the Toni Morrison esque writing that we've encountered since that book. It is the two, it's a combination of two things that maybe is a paradox, but I wrote down here it is both spare and indulgent. And there are authors who can pull this off where they understate things and they don't let sentences linger too much but each one can have a twist or some potency or power. It's a lot of short lines, a lot of clipped syntax that is really punchy. I guess we would in a simple description call it poetic, but I think that when this mm-hmm. happens in literature, it's like in my estimation one of the highest kind of writing styles or forms. So, I think even like immediately, there's she describes the presence of the dead on page six. I pulled a quote for this. It just set a literary uh, or a stylistic tone for me where I thought, oh shit, this is going to be a type of writing that I admire maybe the most. And so, it, this is when. That, you know, the dead or they've just realized all these people died from disease, but it says their names grew within us, swelled to the brink of our lips, forced our eyes open in the middle of the night. We were filled with the water of the drowned, cold and black, airless water that lapped against the seal of our tongues or leaked slowly from the corners of our eyes. Within us, like ice shards, their names bobbed and shifted. Then the slivers of ice began to collect and cover us. We became so heavy, weighed down weighted down with the lead gray frost that we could not move. Our hands lay on the table like cloudy blocks the blood within us grew thick we needed no food and little warmth and then you know that continues but it's it's a cadence thing i think too it's a rhythm that some authors can mm-hmm. find and others can't where they're they interweave images that all work really well they'll they'll shift some figurative language around to make it potent and avoid cliche and that does but i think And then also it just knows how to land a punch with brevity. I don't know. It's it's definitely a flow and rhythm thing to it. Again, the simple description would be it's a poetic sound. Um... But I, I guess if I had to call out one thing for Please Continue, it's there's so much to admire about it, but I think it's just the base style of it. I, We haven't encountered an author quite like this. I think actually Eric Larson dared upon some of it, you know, but he was also weighed down by having to give facts, and you can only give facts in so many interesting ways, right? And he did a lot of them, so I admire yeah. it. But he And I think when he really wanted to get into some setting detail and imagery for Chicago, he did this, but... Not to be too illusion-heavy to our own pods or whatever, but th- I think that's the other one that comes close. Um, also, side note, again, admire the humor. So glad parts of this is humorous, because otherwise it becomes quite heavy reading, so that too. But yeah, just mm-hmm. the style of it, I'm going to cop out, and that's that's the quote to represent it for me.
1: I love it, yeah. The, the style here, immediately, from the very first line, like, my notes, so I write down notes in a separate yeah. notebook for myself, and the the very first sentence I stopped and I wrote down in my notes, I said first sentence amazing like yeah. and then I read the rest of the paragraph and I wrote down in my notebook first paragraph amazing <laughs> <laughs> like just so, so beautifully done yeah. just from the beginning it's just so compelling to read just on a stylistic uh, level yeah
0: yeah and I almost I was really trying to skate around this maybe you felt it but I'll, I'll own up to my own process or something there can be a way that uh, white people, such as myself, can describe other cultures, especially let's say Native American cultures, in a kind of "dances with wolves" kind of way, where you don't want to mm-hmm. you don't want to say exoticizing, kind of like othering things, even if it's all admiring, right? Even if it's all like, well, the I don't know, I could rifle off a bunch of cliches that I could say that would be you know like casually to just offensive or something. So, but it is. It has a certain spare, like, earthy quality to it that, again, I'm just trying to, like, really skirt around this because I'm trying to be eloquent about it. But And I think I described it before as well as I could, but it also has that, especially with Nana Push's narrative, that I just think is really well done. And, yeah, I think I've described it as best I could, but it's yeah because it deals with such simple things as you know death trying to survive survival in the elements and so there's these simple conflicts of the land too and i i think it embodies some of that stuff of nature of the land yeah any um anything to continue for you that you want to call out or did you want to say anything more on the magic uh nope i'm good fantastic well let's move to our final segment then as we hit the hour mark timing on this has been good we're going to make one nice. big, bold prediction for the second half. Amanda, yours will be taken with a big grain of salt. <laughs> As you've read into <laughs> the second half, I have not at all. So why don't you start with yours well, and we'll we'll decide, we'll leave it to the reader or listener, rather, to decide whether you are throwing us off the trail or if you're giving us an actual <laughs> prediction or if you're... Because at this point, we, yours could be interpreted many ways and we won't reveal how, so go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, so I, I did fill out all of this before i began reading the second perfect yes yes so i haven't i have not finished the book and so i I won't say anything else about that but this is what i predicted based on the actual halfway perfect i said that uh something terrible is going to happen to pauline probably at the hands of floor as in people will blame floor and the superstitions will abound Around that, Um, there's a lot of revenge going on, especially from Floor. But so far, Pauline has escaped with no punishment, even though she just watched Floor get raped and contrived to get Eli to have an affair. Uh, She's wronged Floor twice already in this book, and she's not been punished. So I think she's going to get hers somehow. I think Floor i would hope i mean like floor is like punishing all kinds of folks but uh, supposedly so i'm just I'm, I'm wondering when pauline's gonna get
0: hers have we seen floor directly punish anyone other than pushing eli away because of his cheating
1: so we've seen that and then she's she's the like supposedly the reason for the tornado that tore up right, the, right. the butchery shop um and just like she survived it, the
0: disease which gives her some kind of seeming supernatural power or something like that some kind of Right. Not immortality, but some kind of potency. Right. Um, the um, the
1: Lazar boy and stuff like that, The they say that the reason that he's so tongue-tied is because, like, she saw him peeping on
0: her. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. she cut out his tongue and put it in backwards. Right. Oh, and then she does. they do set the trap, though that's more of a group effort. The Nana push yeah. does that too. So it's, but then the, the cut and in the infection when they try and kidnap yeah. Margaret or they do, well, they do kidnap her and Nana push, but the, yeah, that whole reaction. But again, that's like, it seems supernatural. They interpret it that way. Of course we could just read it as they have an open wound get infected, you know, and that's right. how that goes. So, okay, cool. Yes. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything or misremembering. Yeah. So, but I mean, Pauline has,
1: Remain unscathed somehow, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she's just kind of an outsider, kind of looking in, gossiping, feeling shame, but not doing much about it, which is, that's never a good position or a sympathetic position to be in when you keep witnessing horrible things but not intervening or something. She even, again, with the Sophie thing, she directly manipulated both of them, knew what she wanted and did it, and then, of course, immediately blamed them and bailed out and caused more conflict, so... I don't know how to read that episode sympathetically for her other than she has teenage yearnings and, you know, that's a we all get that position. We understand that position. But, yeah, that was kind of a tough episode. Yeah. Not to not blame Eli or something, though. He doesn't have much to say in the text. I mean, he's pretty much a mute, really. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he's a mute. At least a, to ask Nana push for some like advice about how to yeah. get
1: floor. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's just kind of, even then, just quiet and it absorbs things, you know, it doesn't seem, right. yeah, he's kind of a neutral figure in a sense, but, kept, but it can hunt Moose, and that's, you know, he's yeah. a midsuit man. <laughs> I'll go with my big, bold, bold prediction now. Mine is, well, yours is genuine, too. I, I have to stop wording it that way. Yours was done perfectly. Mine, uh, mm-hmm. I, I am at exactly halfway through one through five, so mine is, I think, based on the narration. Now, here's the thing about Floor. She's a total survivor tough as hell, woman of the earth, some kind of mysterious qualities. I could see, though, that it not being her point of view, I could see the story ending, or at least one of the final things from these outsiders being that Fleur will die somehow, probably in some kind of tragic way, though in her own way, maybe a way that empowers her, hopefully. We'll we'll see. But I just, because these are outsiders, but it feels like Fleur's story... Maybe the final thing that they'll have to react to and sort of give their point of view on is how she dies or how she goes away or something. So I think, you know, a hero's end would fit for her. Some kind of symbolic or potent action would be good. Maybe. Maybe some of the people who are trying to get this land, they mentioned companies offering buyouts and stuff, offering them flour and stuff in exchange for land. This is one of the Nana push things he comes back to is you, you don't want to give away your land. But So maybe it's something with, to do with them. Maybe she puts up a fight against them, something like that, repels an attack maybe, something. But Or, you know, she could just disappear into the lake one day. That would be a fitting and offending for her. She can just become one with the weeds or reeds or something. But I mm-hmm. just... I feel like if we're gonna having if we're gonna continue to have characters react to her, but she is the intriguing central figure, that might be the final thing. Also, it seems like Nana Push is raising her kid, right? Yeah. That would be the most plot basic argument or thought I would have for that prediction is just well, where is she then? Why is he raising Lulu? If she should be around. Eli too doesn't seem around then. Or, you know, maybe he's like a grandfather and they're still there. Who knows? But Mm-hmm. It does seem like when he speaks to Lulu, it's as if he he needs her to know who her parents were because she doesn't. So that's my final thought yeah. on that prediction.
1: In the in the first chapter, I believe he said um, "Floor Pillager," the name that uh, the woman you will not call mother, or something like that. Okay, right? yeah, that at the beginning. Uh, no,
0: I believe you. I probably just forgot the line. Yeah,
1: page two. Floor, the one you will not call mother.
0: And which, yeah. even that's a bit ambiguous, right? Is my prediction now undercut yeah. or boring? <laughs> it probably is. No, it, yeah. not at
1: all, because it, it does, it, it makes me wonder too, because like that line when I first read it, I was like, oh, is she dead or is she just like yeah, disowned. somebody who's, yeah, like been disowned in some way, like she's done something atrocious. That- Interesting. Yeah. So well, yeah.
0: you you as always provided the best evidence for my reading. So that is yeah. That, <laughs> I'm just going to add that quote into the read. <laughs> no, completely. Yeah, I'm curious. I we both um, and kind of to give some wrap up thoughts on this. I I think Fleur is the fascinating person at the center of this that I'll remember the most from this book. She has been the yeah. intriguing heart of the story. But yeah, to get it from the outside is is it quite a way to do the narrative. I think a great choice too. So. I am curious what the final moments will be with Floor in this book, what the final acts yeah. we'll see from her have, will be. So, Any final thoughts on Tracks by Louise Erdrich? No,
1: I'm good. Or at good. least the
0: front half, because we will be back, folks. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week, Friday. As always, we release our book club episodes with part two of Tracks, and then we'll kind of keep going from there with new recommendations, and we've got other books coming up. I do want to mention before we close out those next three books we've chosen. We always pick three books ahead. So the next three books we'll be covering on the podcast in order are Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom by Thomas E. Ricks, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, and You Can't Keep a Good Woman Down by Alice Walker. Won't say more on those for now because we'll have recommendations up in the feed when they they come up in that order. So we'll be covering those shortly. Again, next week, look out for Tracks Part 2. And as always, folks... We'll see you between the pages.